Hey, good to be here, everybody. What a great op- what a great thrill it is to be in Northwest Arkansas. But my wife and I uh, drove up here uh, Friday, and oh my gosh, what an amazing town this is! What an amazing community, and uh, it's so great to be here. Uh, as uh, as Garrett said, my name is Matt Mosler. I'm the pastor of your uh, of your church down in uh, in Pine Bluff. But before I get to anything else, I, I just want to give some I just want to give some praise and honor to your new pastors, Seth and Kendra. Now, some of y'all don't know them very well. I've known Seth and Kendra for quite some time now, and um, I'm going to prophesy just a bit, okay? I'm not really going to prophesy. I, just, I know their track record, so I'm kind of cheating. But I just want to tell you this. this. This community, this church, this area is going to be so blessed because of the vision and the passion and the hard work of this couple. I mean, you guys, I just cannot wait to see what God's going to be able to do in this community, in this church because of what this couple is bringing to this area. And, and it's just, so can you give them a little bit of glory and honor this morning? Just give them a little bit of praise. And I wish Seth Tomboli could be my pastor. I really would. It would be great if he were, because if he were my pastor, then I could just, you know, let him do all the heavy lifting and I can be the eye candy. That's really what I'm, I'm going for. Um, but Seth is a great guy, and, and so I just, I, I love those guys. But I am the pastor of your Pine Bluff Church. And, and I say your Pine Bluff Church because I kind of describe uh, New Life Church as, 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 well, I grew up in Northern California. So if anybody's in Northern California, you know, you got these big redwood trees. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Great big, huge, you can't put like 10 people, can't put their arms around. Well, if you've ever seen these redwoods, uh, the redwoods actually have this, a common root system. It's like this, they, it's all one tree with a bunch of little sprouts coming up. It's like the same common root system. Well, that's kind of what New Life Church is. We have one common root system and a bunch of trees popping up all over the state. And we were Sweet 16, man. Sweet 16 popped up in Pine Bluff back in 2017. And I, I'll never forget when we started the Fayetteville campus that, uh, you know, when Jason and them were coming up here, they took like, they took like 30 or 40 people from central Arkansas to come up to northwest Arkansas. We're going to start a church. It's going to be great. And they took this whole huge team of people from central Arkansas, moved their families to northwest Arkansas. When we moved to Pine Bluff, not one person came with us. Not one. You know, everybody wanted to come to northwest Arkansas, but hey, come to Pine Bluff. It's... uh, we didn't have anybody, but we moved there, and I'll tell you a little bit more about why we moved there coming up in just a bit, but let me show you a picture of my family here, because uh, there's something real important I want to share with you, sir. So here's my son on the right, you know, with the, he had a beard when he was like six, and, and then his wife, Melody, and my grandchild, let's hear it for grandchildren, any old people in here, all right? We got another one on the way, we have a little grandson, the heir to my kingdom coming, and then I'm going to skip over here, this is Madison, she lives in Nashville, she's my middle girl. That's my wife, Camille, who looks like one of my daughters. I'm the fat guy in the middle. And then this one here, this is Becca. And Becca and Travis both live in Pine Bluff right now. Travis started a little ad agency. But Becca here was working with Travis. And this weekend, as divine providence would have it, was also the weekend that her apartment opened up in northwest Arkansas. She's moving here. Because here's the thing about southeast Arkansas. Everything in Arkansas moves northwest. 
everything. And I'm not just talking about money and jobs. I'm talking about information. You, you take all the good people, too. So she's moving here. Uh, she's just got a place up in Bentonville. So we brought a trailer up here. It's like the Beverly Hillbillies coming into town, man. And so we helped move her in this weekend. So, and the thing about my daughter is, let me just tell you this real quickly. So I got two of them right there. My daughter, the, the Becca, she a lot of passion, man. She moved up here. She, 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 she took a leap of faith. She's spreading her wings. She's leaving the nest in search of purpose and meaning and a really tall husband. So I, I only have two requirements for the husbands of my daughters, all right? Uh, and that is, number one, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. Amen? Right, you got, we need a godly man leading this family. But the second requirement is that you be tall. Because we've got to get some tall jeans in the gene pool, baby. And, and so we will be taking uh, applications immediately following the service. If you want to meet her, she'll be here. They were here in the early service, so she's coming on in. So anyway, that's my children's. That's my family. Uh, but it is so wonderful to be here. My wife and I felt like we were sort of entering a new dimension when we came to Northwest Arkansas, this is so different than Pine Bluff. In fact, let me, it's kind of fun. This was, so Kendra, I was bragging about her a little bit ago. She's so organized, but Kendra sent me this itinerary for what we we're going to do when we came to Northwest Arkansas. She put together this whole thing, what hotel we're going to stay at. And then on this itinerary, she, uh, she puts this down here. She says, okay, here, here are some things that you can do on Saturday while you're here. Hiking trails. We got museums. We got the Crystal Bridges, the Momentary, Lights of the Ozarks in the Square, where they're shopping, Fayetteville's Farmers, and she gave all, and look at the restaurants, man, there's like a list of 100, I moved my family to a town without a TJ Maxx, right? My wife is kicking and screaming, we're moving down there without, we live in no Target, right? Why in the world would I move my family to a town without a Chick-fil-A? And I want to tell you something, too. You will know that the revival has started in southeast Arkansas when I can order a number one with waffle fries and a Diet Coke. I'm telling you, that we will know that God has moved down to southeast Arkansas once again. So we are so excited to be here. We went shopping all day yesterday, not because we wanted to, but because I could. I love my wife's. We hung out. We had, you know, it was just fun time. But you, the shopping, it's just amazing to be in this. God is just certainly blessing this community. So it is just such a pleasure to be in northwest Arkansas. But listen, I, I, I want to tell you a couple of the questions that I get. Because some of y'all may be asking this question. I worked 30 years in television as a meteorologist and a, and a morning show host. So you may not know this, but I'm really famous. And... Why would we leave a job like that and move to Pine Bluff? The, the, the question I got most often was, why are you moving to Pine Bluff? Why would you come to a, a community like Pine Bluff? Well, let me tell you the answer to that. And that is that uh, I'm 56 years old, okay? Worked in television a long time, 30 years. That's a lot of work, man. I've worked a lot. I have more birthdays behind me than I do ahead of me. In fact, in my pocket, I have this thing right here that goes around my glasses, that my wife doesn't want me to wear, so I hide it when I'm in front of crowds. But any old people out there, I saw you laughing. You got one of these too, all right? Yeah, so I keep that in my pocket, right? So why, you know, 50 more birthdays behind me than I got ahead of me. I've worked hard. I provided for my family. I got my kids through college. It's time for me to start thinking about the latter third of my life. 
where do you want to go to retire? You know, where do you want to go to slow down and spend your golden years? You know, rocking chairs and grandkids. In fact, I, I, I'm already working on the chubby grandpa part. I thought about, you know, 56 years old. Maybe I'd, I'm at this crucial stage in my life. Do I, do I want to get back in, in fighting shape or do I want to go chubby grandpa? I'm kind of leaning toward chubby grandpa, all right? So we worked pretty hard. We've got all this stuff. Now I've got this dream about retirement. So I began to ask God, you know, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to lead me, Lord? Where do you want me to be for these, these, the latter third of my life? I mean, what's your plan for my retirement years? Where can I go to begin writing my memoirs? I began thinking about golf courses and, and, and mountain lakes and, and, you know, somewhere near ducks. I love to duck hunt. And, and God began to whisper to me in that, that still, small voice that he has. God, where do you want me to go? And I kept hearing, Pine Bluff. Pine Bluff. And I said, God, wait, wait. I don't, I, don't, it's, I don't know if I heard you correctly, because with your accent, it sounded, golf course sounded a lot like Pine Bluff. So can you speak up a little bit? And he kept saying Pine Bluff. He shouted a little bit louder, you know. And, and I'm like, wait a minute, God. You're not, you don't understand what I'm saying. That t- part I told you about working hard and slowing down, it's time for me to, you know. That, Pine Bluff is not on Forbes magazine's list of the greatest places to retire. So he spoke to my wife then, and that's just not fair. And he gave her this passion and this drive to come down to southeast Arkansas. So in 2017, we sold our home in Sherwood, Arkansas, where we lived for 20 years. By the way, you live in a house for 20 years, you accumulate a lot of stuff. And, uh, but we sold it, man. We sold our, all our stuff. We packed everything up. We moved down to Pine Bluff, not because God wants to punish us, but because I firmly believe that God wants his city back. Now, let me, let me give you a little history lesson about Pine Bluff. Pine Bluff was founded in January the 8th, 1839. And when it was founded, um, it was 75% black. It always has been. They just didn't count them, all right? But that was the city that was created, January the 8th, 1839. By the time the Civil War rolls around, Pine Bluff became a Union city. It was not a Confederate city. It was this, this... bastion of freedom in the middle of the confederate south right the battle of pine bluff civil war battle of pine bluff was when the confederate forces came down from little rock trying to take over the port and you had 300 freed slaves and the people in pine bluff, and they repelled the southern forces from taking over this city but because it was a union city in the middle of the confederate south you had all of these freed and runaway slaves that could come to pine bluff And when they came to Pine Bluff, you know what happened? They could own property. They could own businesses. They could get married. They could run for public office. Y'all, I want to tell you, you young people may understand this. Pine Bluff was Wakanda, all right? I mean, it was this bastion of freedom that, that, that this oppressed people could come to and find freedom. And, and by the turn of the century, there are more black millionaires in the city of Pine Bluff than just about anywhere in the country with the exception of Atlanta and New Orleans. And some of you may have heard of this thing called Black Wall Street that sprung up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You know who started that? People from Pine Bluff that went to Tulsa and started Black Wall Street. This was the kind of community that Pine Bluff was. They created a university. So many of these folks grew up they couldn't, didn't know how to read and write. Well, they began to educate them, created this university. They built libraries. They built buildings. It was just this wonderful community. And then the turn of the century happened and all that stuff was stolen. Everything was taken away. 
And again, they get marginalized to the outside. And what happened was in the 1900s, I want to tell you something, Pine Bluff thrived. It was a great city, man. Pine Bluff became the second largest city in the state of Arkansas. It came home to all sorts of industry. Every savings and loan that was in the state was headquartered in Pine Bluff. It was this amazing town. And it grew and it exploded and it was prosperous and all sorts of golf courses and everything sprung up around there. And, and you'd have these churches that would pop up in Pine Bluff, 60, 70,000 square foot churches under roof where you'd have the man of God stand in a pulpit and he would preach the freedom of the gospel of Jesus Christ while he's excluding three quarters of the population. And I'm not going to tell you that God judged this city. I think God gave this city over to the God they were worshiping. And as a result, the savings and loan crisis happened in the 80s. Every savings and loan in Pine Bluff, they all close. Overnight, four to 500 white-collar jobs just leave town, and you have this power vacuum that it was created there, and wrong people filled the void, and the city continued its decline to the point where we are now. But I want to tell you something. Pine Bluff is positioned right now for an amazing revival, and God began to draw us to this community. The enemy does not like freedom. And he went to war for this city and he captured it. And this once great bastion of freedom has been racked with poverty and blight and racism and division ever since. But God is doing something new. He's doing something new in the Delta. He began calling us there. And not just us. I, I, have two, I had two best friends. I went to high school in Washington, D.C. I had two best friends in high school. I was living in Berlin, Germany when I was 14 years old. We moved to Washington, D.C. And I don't know anybody in Washington, D.C. But I, the church that we were going to, they were having a ski trip while I grew up skiing. So I don't know anybody, but I'm going to go on a ski trip. So I show up there at a parking lot of the church in my K2 skis, my Solomon boots, and I'm just standing there like an idiot, right? And these two guys walk up to me, and introduce themselves, and we sit on the bus together. And 42 years later, we've been best friends. Well, the thing about it was, when we graduated from college, I got famous and they got rich. I mean, rich. So that's why we've been best friends for the last 42 years. Amen? All right? So these two guys, God began to work on these two dudes. And, uh, and, and, and last year, these two guys retired from their jobs, sold their multiple homes around the country, and moved their families to Pine Bluff, Arkansas to help us with our ministry. This is the kind of thing God is doing down in that community because, again, not on Forbes' list, right? In fact, we live in a town without a coffee shop which sounds like our version of hell. Uh, but, we, you know, why that doesn't matter. And being in, look, I'm driving down these streets. There are, there are like two or three coffee shops in the same strip mall here in Fayetteville, right? So nothing down there. And that may not sound like it's so appealing to you, but let me tell you something. In my short time here on earth, I've learned a few things. Um, number one, and, and here's the, here it is, and you can write this down. The goal of life, this, this life that God has given us, the goal of our life this precious gift of God. The goal of our life is not pleasure. It's purpose. It's not pleasure. It's Now, I'm a big fan of pleasure, okay? I like to have fun. I, I like to play golf. I like to shoot ducks. I like to have my choice of places where I need to eat. But if I spent all of my time and my talent and my treasure pursuing my pleasure, what I love to do, then to paraphrase you too, I'm never going to find what I'm looking for, right? There's always going to be this void that I'm going to try to fill with all of this stuff, and I'm going to end up 
if I, if I pursue pleasure over purpose, I'm going to end up settling for a cheap imitation of the life God created me to live. The goal of life is not pleasure, it's purpose. And, the, and, and knowing your purpose, listen to me, knowing your purpose is second only to knowing Christ as your Savior. Knowing God's purpose for your life is second only to coming to know His Son, Jesus Christ. Because knowing your purpose, why you're here, what it's all about, that's where your true joy comes from. That's not just, that's the difference between being alive and living. And I actually learned this uh, in, in a book I read. When I moved down to Pine Bluff, I needed to learn more about this community. I, mean, I knew what God was calling us down to the Delta. And, uh, and, I, and I wanted to learn as much as I could about this community. So I started reading all sorts of books. And there are not a lot of history books about this. You've got to seek them out. But then I, I stumbled upon this one book that had nothing to do with history or even God, for that matter. But it was a book called uh, Being Mortal. And it was written by a doctor named Atul Gawande. And in this book, he tells the story about this one particular doctor, graduated Harvard Medical School. He's a brilliant guy goes off into Boston, and he starts a family practice, and he thrives in this family practice. But at the same time he bought his family practice, he buys this 40-acre farm, and he creates a sustainable farm you know, outside of Boston. I mean, complete with you know, chickens and goats and solar power, and he grows a beard and the whole works, right? This is what his passion is. Well, to give him more time for his passion... He sells his family practice, which by then had become pretty lucrative. He sells his family practice, and he becomes the medical director at a nursing home. Well, he, he enters this nursing home, and he soon finds uh, himself disturbed by the differences he encountered between the, the life and the vibrancy of this farm that was his passion and this gray, sterile, lifeless nature of this nursing home. I mean, these folks that were in this home, they were once movers, they were once shakers, they were, they were people that made life happen, man, and now they wake up, they take a pill, they get a sponge bath, they watch Oprah go to bed, do it again the next day. That's their life. And the doctor walked in there, he said, man, that ain't life. And so drawing upon his experience in the sustainable farm, he came up with a, a plan. And what he did was he put every room in the nursing home, got two green plants and a couple of parakeets. He tore up the front yard of the nursing home and he planted a garden, a vegetable garden and a flower garden. He brought two dogs, four cats into the nursing home and he turned the bottom floor into a daycare center for the workers to bring all their kids. Well, now these people, that you know, at one moment they're just waking up and going to bed. Now they're hearing all these kids downstairs. They got to take care of two birds. They got to take care of these plants. They got to tend to a garden. What happened was life expectancy went up and medication went down. And the doctor's conclusion was this. He said, the difference in death rates can be traced to the fundamental human need for a reason to live. In other words, if you have a reason to live, you'll live longer. You'll live better. The two big problems we have in Pine Bluff are the dissolution of family and the lack of hope. So when I'm reading this, it begins to speak to me. The doctor's conclusion is if you have a reason to live, you'll live longer. But the author's conclusion was this. He said, the most important finding of the study wasn't that having a reason to live could reduce death rates. The most important finding of the study was that it is possible for us to give people a reason to live. We have the ability, guys, listen to me, as Christ followers, we have the ability to provide other people a reason to live, But we don't only just have the ability as believers in Christ, as image bearers of God, we have the responsibility as believers to do so. 
And this isn't just a nursing home thing, all right? This, this became real to me when we just moved to, uh, to Pine Bluff and, and the Easter uh, egg hunt was coming up. Why aren't we going to do Easter egg hunt in our community? Nobody did an Easter egg hunt. We're going to do an Easter egg hunt. So we got the front yard of the junior high school and we've got all these. We're going to have this big time. We want everybody in the community to come out for the community Easter egg hunt. So nobody knew who we were. We go knocking on doors all over town. We go to these apartment complexes and we start knocking on doors to hand them out flyers. To bring your kids, your grandkids, the Easter egg hunt. It's 11.30, 12.30, 1 o'clock. We're knocking on these apartment doors around Pine Bluff. And at 11.30, 12.30, 1 o'clock, when we knock on these doors, they're just waking up. We woke half of them up. They're smoking weed, and, and they're hooking up in the rooms. And it occurred to me that these people, these image bearers of God, these people that God created with a purpose and a plan in mind, were just like the people in that nursing home. They were alive, but they weren't living. They were hopeless. They were they're just like the people in the nursing home. They were bored, they were lonely, and they were hopeless, which is just what the enemy wanted. But guys, listen, God has given us the answer. It's something much bigger than we are. But for too many of us, we keep it bottled up inside. We got this, this stirring, this passion, is just this, this life preserver is inside each and every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ. And it needs to come out in the way that we serve. In the way that we apply the gifts that we've been given. Again, the goal of life is not pleasure, it's purpose. But listen to me, the purpose of life is to discover what that gift is. But the meaning of life is when you give it away. That's when life becomes fun. In fact, this is what the Bible tells us, 1 Peter 4, chapter 10 and 11. Look at this. As each one has received a special gift, and you all have received a special gift, everybody in here, everybody in here has some sort of gift given to you by the Creator. As each one has received a special gift, use it to serve one another. The reason you have your gifts is to serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It was by God's grace that He gave you these gifts and talents and abilities. If you speak... Speak as the one who's got the utterances of God. If you serve, do it as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things, or as we say in Pine Bluff, everything. There you go. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. The gifts that you've been given, the talents that you have, the passion that you have, all of this has been given to us to be shared with others, and we share these gifts with others when we begin to serve. Now, Jesus said it over and over and over in the scriptures, but nowhere is this more clear than in the story about the Good Samaritan. Look at this. This is uh, Luke chapter 10, 30 through 37. It says, A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, a really hazardous road. We traveled this road when we went to Israel not too long ago, Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. And they stripped him of his clothes, and they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. Kind of like what Texas happened to them when they faced Arkansas. Can somebody give me an amen? That's right. We just beat them like scalded dogs. But by chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road. This religious guy just passed him right by. And then a temple assistant, another religious guy, walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side of the road. Then this despised Samaritan. You know who the Samaritans were? According to the Jews, they were racially inferior. Right? 
They weren't as pure as the Jews. This racially inferior guy that was marginalized and looked down upon, he came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Something stirred within him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey. And he took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day he handed the innkeeper a couple of silver coins. And he said, hey, you take care of this brother. The bill runs higher than this. I'm going to pay you the next time I come through. And then Jesus said, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And Jesus, that's what he said. And the man replied, the one who is showing him mercy. And Jesus said, that's right. Now go do just what he did. Go love your neighbor. Go serve your neighbor. Go pour yourself out. I love what Dr. King said about this passage. He pointed out that both the priest and the Levite ask, if I stop and help this man, what effect is it going to have on me? How is it going to inconvenience me? What impact will it have on me? But he said the Samaritan asked, if I don't stop and help this man, what effect will it have on him? It's not about me. Listen to me. It's about Christ in me being used through me to impact the world around me. It's Christ in me being used through me to impact the world around me. And this is pretty much what Jesus said from the moment he got into ministry. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 15, we see this. Jesus said, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel. No! <laughs> song we used to sing in church. Hide it under... Anyway. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds... Whose good deeds are they? They're yours. Let your good deeds, let your service, let your love, let your passion, let your gifts, let all of this shine out for everyone to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus is calling us to be counter-cultural. To use everything that we have to bring glory to God through the way that we love and serve others. And this is why God has us here. Now, to you, we're supposed to use our gifts to make a difference. Now, how can you make a difference in this community? I have no idea, because that's between you and God. But I do know God is stirring inside you, isn't he? Calling you to something deeper. I do know that he's stirring, because it's not about pleasure, it's about purpose. And you are the hands and the feet. And living out that purpose, I promise you, is going to bring you joy. Some of you guys are looking for purpose and love and joy and meaning and everything by doing things in your strength. God said, no, 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 it's not about you. It's about, it's about me. It's about using everything I gave you so that you can draw people to me. Because that's where freedom is. That's where love is. That's where joy is. That's where purpose is. This is why God has us here. Let me give you the same hints that I gave my church about how to get the stirring out of our hearts and into our hands and feet. And the first thing is share your time. One of the ways that we can begin to serve our community is to share our time. The Bible says this in Colossians 4, 5, and 6. He says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Are there non-believers in northwest Arkansas? Are there any? Okay. Live wisely among them and make the most of every opportunity you have. To do what? To shine forth the light of God in this dark generation. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. We need to share our time. And I got to tell you, you young people may not understand this, but I'm, again, I'm 56 years old. It's not real old. 
But I begin to realize I'm running out of time. And I've wasted a lot of the time that I've had pursuing things that just don't really matter. We, gotta, we have to make a decision to live each day so that it will be remembered in heaven. And, and, and that means we need to serve. We need to share our time. Now, now if, you're, if, if this is new to you, look, there's plenty of opportunities to, to start serving in church. It's kind of a gateway, right? We can begin serving in this church, but we can also serve outside this church. There's a lot of needs outside the walls of this church. You can volunteer in the community. You can mentor kids at schools. You can, you can visit people who can't get to church. It may not change the world, but it might change theirs. Be, be conscious of the fact that I can share my time to help and to serve and to coach and to lead other people. There's a lot of opportunities out there. Share your time, but also share your talent. Again, each of us has unique talents and gifts and abilities. Again, use them not just for your pleasure, but use them to lead other people to freedom through Jesus Christ. Use them for something bigger than your own fulfillment. Again, if you can speak, speak. If you can sing, sing. If you're, if you're good with your money, teach others. If you got OCD, pick up trash on the highway. You know, there's all sorts of things that you can do with the talents that God has given you. Whatever you do, use it to bring glory to God. And if you don't think you have any special talent, then share your touch. All right? Smile. Be nice. Let somebody else in line in front of you at McDonald's. Right? I mean, not all of us... Not all of us can hit home runs, but we all play a part in how we play this game, right? Sometimes, listen to me, sometimes changing the world can be as simple as giving a hug to an old person. Look at this story here. How can you mend a broken heart? Tough question. At least we know where it can happen. Here's Steve Hartman on the road. Not long ago, in a cemetery outside Augusta, Georgia, a loving couple was buried. The wife buried below this white bouquet. The husband buried above in a mound of grief. Took me totally by surprise. 82-year-old Dan Peterson says after Mary died, he fell into a deep depression. Spent days just staring out at the squirrels. What were you living for? I was trying to figure that out, frankly. You had no purpose? No. Were you just waiting to die? Yeah. For six months, it was just that bad. And then one day you go to a grocery store. <laughs> it all changed inside this Publix. Dan was nearing the end of the canned vegetable aisle. He hates grocery shopping, and by all accounts, the expression on his face confirmed his aggravation. But that's when this unapproachable man was approached by a four-year-old girl named Nora Wood. In the security footage, you can see Nora randomly reaching out to him. Her mom, Tara, says it was quite embarrassing. She said, hi, old person. It's my birthday today. Old person? Old person. Hi, old person. She says this to this cranky old man? Yeah. And then had the audacity to demand a hug. I said, a hug? I said, absolutely. <laughs> Nora got her hug and then asked her mom to take a picture of her with her new friend. She zeroed in on him like a missile. And she didn't want anything from him. She just wanted to make him feel loved and give him a hug. And his little lip quivered and he was teared up and it was just sweet. 
And I said, you don't know. This is the first time for quite a while that I've been this happy. That all happened a couple months ago, and his grin has only gotten wider since. Hi, sweetheart. Come in. Come in. Today, Nora visits at least once a week. So how's my sweetie, huh? And every time, it's the grocery store all over again. I knew I was going to get a hook. <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable. Totally unbelievable. It's a bridge. It's a bridge. Oh, okay. Dan does have grandkids of his own, but they're all grown and gone. And Nora does have grandparents. But her mom says this is a completely different kind of bond that almost defies explanation. She fell asleep holding a picture of them. I, what? <laughs> to Dan, it's equally miraculous, but far less mysterious. He believes Nora is, quite literally, an angel. She opened me to a love that I didn't know existed. When your wife died, you felt like you didn't have any purpose anymore. Do you feel like you have a purpose now? Of course. Nora, watching her grow up, I know I made room in my heart for a lot more. Steve Hartman, On the Road, in Augusta, Georgia. It's amazing. You just don't know, man. Share a touch. Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2.15 that, you know, we need to be the aroma of Christ. You know, that aroma of Christ is just, you ought to be able to walk into a room, smile and love. And when you walk into the room, people ought to say, oh, Jesus. Too many of us are walking into rooms across our city and people are, and instead of going, oh, Jesus, they're going, oh, Jesus. And we got to change our aroma. We got to change our countenance. We got to be able to share a touch. We also need to share a treasure. Now, don't tune me out here when I talk about sharing treasures. Because this one goes beyond just dollars and cents, all right? It goes toward our whole attitude toward finances and possessions and home and lifestyle. And I tell this to the people in my community that our lack of generosity might be the very thing that's keeping them in poverty. Because here's what God says in Luke 6, 38. He says, if you give, I'll give it back to you. You give and you will receive. The, your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap because the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. And the more we share our time and our talent and our treasure, God will begin to give us more so that we can give more time and talent and treasure to make a difference in people's lives just like Nora did for Dan. Now this, again, it's not just talking about giving in church. It's also talking about tipping your waitress. Right? Churches, I mean, businesses hate to see church people come into the restaurant because we're so cheap. Let's not be cheap. Let's be the most generous people in town. Buy somebody's lunch. Help someone out in need. Just like Mackenzie and Riley did that for me yesterday. We ate it at Boca's. Y'all been to Boca's? I mean, I ate it. My wife and I went there to eat, and we see these two pretty girls sitting next to me, so I just start a conversation with them, and it turns out that they know me because, again, I'm very famous. They're in the same life group as my pastor in Little Rock. It's just crazy. And then I'm on the way out. They pay for our dinner. Come on. If you give, God will give it back to you. Press down, shake it together. Over. So if I were you, I'd hang around Mackenzie and Riley because they're about to win the lottery. I'm just I'm throwing that out there right now. Help someone else in need. And then the last thing I'll tell you, 
because the value of your life is not determined by how much you achieve or accumulate, but by how much of your life you give away. Which brings me to the last point here, and I'll wrap it up. Share Jesus. Share Jesus. Because this is the most important thing that you can give away. You know why? Because people last forever. And when you share the love and the life and the freedom of Christ with others, you can change their life forever. It doesn't take much, y'all. It's just what you're willing to give away to bring glory to God. Now, we've been called to a pretty big mission down there in Pine Bluff. It's, I love it down there. We love our community. We know that God's doing something big down there, but it's not an easy place to live. The dissolution of the family and the lack of hope has crippled this area. So, we got a lot of work to do. And we have a mission down there. In this season of life, we believe it's part of our mission to help God get his city back. So not only are we, are we doing church, but we're trying to be the church. We're rebuilding houses. We have a ministry called Home Again Pine Bluff where we take these old dilapidated homes and we tear them down and we rebuild them as brand new houses and we use them as, as incentive to get people out of poverty into self-sufficiency. So if you want one of these homes, you have to get a job. But more than that, you have to take parenting classes and financial education classes and spiritual education and Pine Bluff history and all sorts of things. And we'll rent this house to you for a year or two. And if, once you finish all of these classes, because we have to change a mindset, once you finish these classes, we then sell you that house for half of its appraised value. So you can go from poverty to equity in just a year or two. But we don't just do one house on a bad street. We do like six or seven houses. So now we surround you with community and accountability and support. And if you've got six or seven families on a bad street now that are going to work and going to church and taking care of their families, you just change the culture. Right? You do this one step at a time. We're rebuilding houses. We're rebuilding families. And, and this year, we're actually taking the back of our church, which is an old department store. We're taking the back half of that, and we're turning it into a community center, not a family life center. I don't, I don't like the ideas of churches building facilities to insulate their people from the folks we're called to minister to. What we want to do is we want to build this facility to draw those people in. All right, So we take the back half of our church. That's Our church is the building where it says church and we own about half of that the back half of that we're turning into this community center with a coffee shop and classrooms for teaching we have a big gym space area it's not really a gym it's a large space that we can do what how many white people know what a repast is anybody (laughs) didn't think so i didn't either when i moved to pine bluff i started getting all all sorts of phone calls can you do a repast at your church what is a it's like after a funeral Okay, you would get the whole families together and you have a big meal and everybody celebrate. That's what a re- we have a building now for repasts. All right, see, you didn't think you'd learn anything this morning. So that's going on in the church, and then we're building two basketball courts with covered seating. We got an art wall right there between the basketball courts and the trees, big seven foot wall where kids can come by and express themselves artistically on that wall. We want to bring that out. And then across the, we have this vacant lot we're turning into a, a playground and a park where we got pavilions and picnic areas and playground stuff. You see a playground up there and a big splash zone. This is all taking place on the east side of Pine Bluff where we can draw people from our community in walkable distance to come in and begin doing to build relationships and to build community. It's modeled on this place thing we saw in Conway. I think we got one picture of that. It looks like that. That's what we're going to do in Pine Bluff. Isn't that fun? So these are kind of some of the things that you are doing in southeast Arkansas. But here's the thing. We've got a mission and so do you. And in many ways, your mission field is a lot tougher than our mission field. 
Because in your mission field, we got everything we need in Northwest Arkansas. Why do we need God? And so many people are numbing this emptiness inside of them with all of this stuff. How do we reach them? I don't know, but God's stirring in your heart to do it. Because all of that pleasure stuff is never going to satisfy them. It's only when they find their purpose and their meaning through Jesus Christ. And I know you feel it. I know we stir it in you because I got the same spirit inside of me. The question is, do you have the courage to follow it? How is God asking you to make a difference in your community, in your world, in your sphere of influence? What is keeping you from taking that step? What is keeping you in your seat? Whatever it is that is robbing you of your purpose, whatever that obstacle is standing between you and the life God created you to live, I pray today that he will bring that to your memory, bring that to your mind, so that you can give it to him and say, here am I, send me.